Hello and welcome back to another episode of Cleared for Takeoff. I'm your host Gavin Rice and I want to share what I've learned in aviation both on the job, off the job, and what I've encountered everywhere in between. It's good to be back. It's been, uh, oh gosh, a couple weeks now since the last episode came out. I've moved into my new place which includes a new studio. And what other great way to kick off a new studio than bringing on a guest? Uh, it's been a while since we have a guest, so I got uh, my buddy Trevor here. Trevor, thanks for coming on the show, man. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. Uh, Trevor came in, you live in the Greensboro area, Greensboro, North Carolina? Greensboro, North Carolina. Drove over to, to Raleigh, right? And you mm-hmm. picked up the flight from Raleigh to Boston. I, yes, sir. I grabbed him from the airport, and here we are. So, Trevor, do you want to dive in and tell us you know, how, how we met? Yeah, absolutely. So... We met uh, during Indoc with uh, our previous our previous employers, um, Republic Airways. Um, actually, no, we met uh, ATP CTP. Oh, that's uh, right. You were there for in, that uh, too. Yep. I was there okay. for that. Yep. Um, but we didn't start to get to know each other until actually we got into Indoc. Yep. Um, that's when we actually uh, started spending a lot more time together, studying together. I remember joining you, Brandon, Dana, in your room while you were cooking, and <laughs> we're all trying to study, quizzing yep. each other, and yep. just hanging out, having a good time, trying to make a, begin our start in this crazy career we call aviation. Oh <laughs> Those were, you know, I, I kind of think of that time in Indoc mm-hmm. in Indianapolis as like, the college days of yeah. airline career, right? Because <laughs> exactly it, it was like it. it was our first introduction to it, right? Yeah. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Yeah. Uh, but we were all in, in the soup together, right? Yeah, we were all <laughs> going through together, figuring it out together because <laughs> yeah. a lot of us came from CFI backgrounds. You and I came yep. from a CFI background, so mm-hmm. the others came from different uh different paths, but we all came together. This is our first airline experience we're like all excited and giddy yeah. but we're also kind of terrified because we don't know what to expect but we're like <laughs> we're here for it you know yeah absolutely yeah speaking of background give me mm-hmm. a brief story of of how you came into aviation when did you get that bug when did you first realize yeah. yep i'm gonna be a pilot i am an i got my start in aviation back when i was young i mean i've been interested in heavy machinery since i was a little little kid but uh airplanes were always the biggest were forefront of my interest because I used to travel out to the West Coast to visit friends and family mm-hmm. out in California. And we would always fly. And I just remember being in the airport terminals, looking out the window, seeing these giant airplanes. And I'm like, those are really cool. And then even flying on them, I would always ask my parents, can you book me the window seat? Can you give me the window seat? <laughs> and my dad would always do, do his best to get me a window seat. And I just mm-hmm. remember just staring hours, the whole flight outside, out of the windows, just looking at you know, the wing and the flaps and everything. Also the clouds going by and just the view. And I was like, I got to do this. Like, oh, yeah. this is what I got to do. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, I played flight simulator X throughout my childhood <laughs> on my, on my laptop. Uh, and then eventually my parents got me, they surprised me with a discovery flight, hmm. uh, on my 10th birthday. Oh, um, wow. That is really awesome. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. was like, that was the moment. I, it was, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was yeah. a Piper Cherokee 180. Um, I met with, uh, an instructor, his name's Dave and, um, he took me up, showed me around the airplane, showed me the flight controls. And, uh, once we took off and we're in the air, he's like, all right, it's your flight controls. And I was like, huh? really? I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, I'm 10 years old. I'm like a little kid. I can't see over the dash, yep. but I'm like, I'm looking at the instruments. I'm like, I think I know what they do. <laughs> you know? And he just let me take control of the airplane, turn yep. around, go up, down. I was like, yep. Wow. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. That's I did awesome. from that moment on. 
Yep. I knew exactly where I was, what I was going to do. The rest so, of history. So pretty much right around 10 years old was when it all kind of came together, yeah. right? When you were like, yep, yeah. I'm going to do this. Exactly. That's, that's a crazy contrast to me. I, I've talked about it in previous mm-hmm. episodes where it didn't really click for me until high school, sophomore yeah. year of high school, where I was like, oh, I'm going to do this as a career. But you figured out right at age oh, yeah. 10. Like, yep. <laughs> I mean, you always loved flying, but then at age 10, it was, oh, that it was discovery like, that flight was, my, was That was my first taste of that's like awesome. actually being at the controls of a real airplane. That's awesome. Um, and I didn't start my training when I was 10. I had to wait a little bit. My sure. parents and instructor were like, oh, let's, let's yeah. hold on a little bit. You're <laughs> still pretty young. Yep. Uh, so I eventually um, started in my senior year of high school mm-hmm. is when I started my private training. Okay. Yep. And then bounced around flight schools mm-hmm. when I went to college and mm-hmm. and just worked through all my ratings as I was going through uh, university. Okay, cool. That's right. Awesome, man. And then you were after... Uh, getting your ratings, you became a flight instructor, right? Yeah. And you got all those ready. You got your, obviously, flight instructor airplane. You did instrument as well. And yep. then you also got your multi-engine, multi, right? Yep. yep. I got all three. All three. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, getting my multi-engine was interesting experience because I got hired. I started flight instructing at uh, the flight school I did all my ratings at. Um, so I knew everybody. Um, they knew me. I knew the aircraft. And it was a really, really nice flight school. That's good. And then one day... You know, I had just gotten my commercial multi because I saved up some cash and went and did it. And my boss comes to me and he's like, hey, so-and-so is leaving. I need you to get your MEI. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'll pay for it, but um, you need, I need you to get your MEI. Because I, I, I was the one instructor that was full-time and had prior multi-engine experience. Okay. Um, had enough for to meet the insurance requirements. Mm. So I was perfect candidate. Yeah. So I was like, Sure, and we had a Baron Fifty Five, so who oh, wouldn't that's want? Right. You were telling me about <laughs> who wouldn't oh want gosh. to not only fly that but instruct in it too? Yeah. You know, it's a beast of an airplane. Yeah. The thing has over five hundred horsepower total. I'm like, the thing's a rocket. Sounds like a hot rod rolling down the taxiway <laughs> when you put the power to it. Oh my gosh, it's the best sound in the world. That's <laughs> a true airplane, right there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> awesome. Still to this day, the Baron. I've flown Fifty Fives and Fifty Eights. Okay, Baron is the best flying airplane that's awesome. I've ever flown. Wow. The 175 is a nice, really nice airplane, but just the way the Baron handles, yep. it's that's, it's like nothing else. Man. That's awesome. <laughs> and so that was that was the main multi aircraft that they had. For, yeah, for that was the only wow. one that they had. Oh wow! Um, okay, okay, yeah. gotcha. Because that that's a pretty beefy plane to be using for flight instruction. Usually, yeah. it's like a Seminole or, yes. or a lot of people using the uh, the Diamond yeah. Twin Stars or something smaller. But the Baron, that's a beefy plane. Yeah, it is. Um, huh. I would always when I, with my students when they're starting on getting their commercial multi, mm-hmm. I always sit them down and I'm like, okay, you need to understand something here. <laughs> this plane can kill you yeah. if you're not careful. Yep. Like I have a serious, you know, man to man, face to face talk. Mm-hmm. Like you need to understand this, yep. this airplane, if you let it get out of hand, if you don't get it under control, <laughs> it can kill you. Yeah. Um, and you could see like their whole like mindset and their demeanor kind of starts to change a little mm-hmm. bit. They approach the airplane differently yeah after that um because i also i was also a check instructor okay um and i would there were some other multi-engine instructors and they had their own students and they would come to me and i would do their uh stage checks or you know mock check rides sure and like some like there was a one that i got he was super nice guy really smart um but i could tell like he just didn't get like oh if i mess up it could be really really bad Right. And so at the end of it, I had had to have, the, had to have talk with him. Yep. Just like explain to him, like, 
you know, tell him like everything that he did right, everything that he did wrong, what he needs to improve on. Mm -hmm. But also I'm like, I had to sit him down. I'm like, hey, (laughs) you need to understand something about this airplane. If you're not careful. Yeah. You can really hurt yourself. I feel like the the equivalent of that for a car is like if a a teenager fresh with their license gets a Mustang. Oh yeah. Right. And it and all of a sudden they have all that horsepower underneath them. Yep. (laughs) And they go on one rainy day. Yeah. You know, yeah, and that's Spin the stereotype where, you know, that's the car that always gets wrecked, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So I guess it's kind of similar to that, right? Yeah. Where it's, it's a, it's a lot to handle. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's, you know, in terms of the maneuvering speed, right? The, uh, oh gosh, this is bringing me back to the <laughs> multi-engine piston days, uh, VMC, right? The, yeah. the, the region behind, but, or, um, beyond controllability, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're going too slow and you get that rolling moment. Yeah. I'm sure that plane also had. Yeah, tendencies like, where it could get pretty squirrely, right? Yes, um, if you got if you let it get away from you, I mean, you can get it out, but yeah. if you're too low to the ground, it's almost impossible. You'd yeah. lose a, you'd lose two, three, four thousand feet of altitude Woo. if you got into some sort of spin. Right, you know? right, no kidding. Wow. Um, and of course, I'd always demonstrate the VMC demo to my students. I'd yep. always practice show it to them myself. I'd like get it really close, not yep. over the line, sure, but I kind of show I get the airplane in a state where. I'm in full control, but it starts to go into um, into VMC, yep. where it starts to you know kind of roll over. Not fully. I never got into a spin or anything, but they, you could feel it. The plane kind of shudder a little bit, and then yeah. I take it out and end it, yep. and then show a recovery. Yep. Um, yep. But they, I'd show them every time, and they'd be like, "Yeah, I was like, you feel that?" And it's like, "Yeah." It's like that's like that's <laughs> like right about going into the edge. So when you start to feel that, you better. Yep. Got to go into the recovery. Right. So. right. But it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, just blasting around the pattern and the practice, uh, practice area in the Baron. Yep. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. And that, the, the Baron has, a, has, it's got the six levers, right? So you got, yep. you got the condition or the, um, the, the mixture and, and the prop and the mm-hmm. throttle for all, for both engines. So you got the six levers. I was, uh, a little bit spoiled with the Diamond Twin Star with the new Oster <laughs> engines. It has the Fadec, the so Fadec, it's the, yeah. the diesel engines, and it uh, it's just two power levers, <laughs> just like the Embraer. Just push a button. Yes, just like the Embraer. <laughs> yeah, yep. just like the one seventy five. Yeah. Speaking of which, so obviously we we went through training mm-hmm. at, uh, at at Republic. We went through all that. You're uh, you and I both served as first officer. I left before. Mm-hmm. Doing much else with that because in Boston, as, as you guys in the yeah. class were all aware, I never flew much because of the imbalance of, of captains and first officers. But uh, then you went on and upgraded. And yes. first of all, break down for me. I've, I've said it before in the past, and it's interesting. You've probably run into it in the airports too or, or just talking to people. A lot of the general public isn't quite aware of the difference between the pilot that sits in the left seat and the pilot that sits in the right seat. And at first, let's just clear the water. Are they both pilots? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? Because you probably yes. hear like, oh, are you a pilot? And like, yeah. Oh, so you're in command. Well, I'm in the right seat, so technically not. But anyway. Like, in, you the, yeah, you're in, the co-pilot. <laughs> yeah, so, right. So do you ever actually get to fly the airplane? <laughs> yeah, right. I've heard that before. <laughs> so yeah, in, in your own words, how would you define the, the, the pilot sits in the left seat versus the right seat? Mm-hmm. The best way I would describe it is the guy in the left seat, the captain. Mm-hmm. He is the leader of the ship. He's the leader of the crew. He's mm-hmm. the leader of the passengers. Mm-hmm. He's the one that coordinates every, that helps to coordinate everything. He's mm-hmm. the one in charge. Mm-hmm. Final, he has the final authority over right. the flight. Mm-hmm. He determines whether the flight goes or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like I said a second ago, he is he's the leader. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the one that makes decisions um, how we're going to operate this flight. How, um, 
you know, if we have to divert, he's going to make the final say, like, hey, we need to divert. Mm -hmm. Or, no, we don't need to. Mm -hmm. um, he's in constant communication with company through, you know, ACARs and through the radios. Um, but essentially, everything goes through him. Mm -hmm. um, he's not necessarily doing everything, but he is managing and monitoring everything. Her, right. He or she is right. managing and monitoring everything. Um, but as far as both pilots, um, the captain, first officer, we are all fully qualified and capable of flying the airplane. Right. Um, hence why there's two pilots, right. know, in case something happens to the right. other one. Right. Both pilots are fully capable of flying the airplane. And um, a lot, and we take turns. Right. Usually, one pilot starts off and then swap back and forth between uh, mm -hmm. between legs. So. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then at a lot of airlines, one one of the things that uh, the person that writes you, the first officer, the second yes. in command, right, usually does the walk around, yes. right, uh, and and the captain gets to, to hang out, Just especially hang out, so. as we as we approach the cold season. You must be loving that now oh, that yeah. you're a captain, I, right? I, lo I love being able like, oh, I don't have to do a walk around. I just can <laughs> hang out here. Now, granted, um, while I don't, while I do appreciate, I do like the fact that I don't have to go out and do the walk around, especially if it's pouring rain and the weather's terrible outside. Um, I do have other responsibilities. Sure. Um, I help start getting the airplane set up for its next flight, punching mm -hmm. in the flight plan, mm -hmm. data, things mm -hmm. like that. But the number one thing is looking at the release, mm -hmm. looking at my flight ahead, mm -hmm. um, reviewing it, making sure there's no errors, make sure all the information is correct, that we have enough fuel, um, correct uh, any MELs, mm -hmm. anything broken that's mm -hmm. on the airplane, as mm -hmm. well as notams and weather mm -hmm. at our departure and destination. Mm -hmm airports right um notams and weather or destination are probably the biggest things that i'm right. looking over notams can get quite lengthy yeah they can be pages and pages long especially yep. if you're going to o'hare chicago o'hare or yep. there's a couple other airports dc is a long one um mm. especially since they're doing runway construction mm -hmm. over the last year or so forever so, it seems like yeah <laughs> yeah chicago's a, the big one that sticks out of my because it's so oh long. my gosh there's a lot of stuff in chicago yeah yeah yep. um and i'm just managing like the turnover of the airplane, you know, whether we need to get catering, where mm -hmm. we need to get fuel, lab service, potable water, making sure my flight attendants are taken care of, make mm -hmm. sure that they get whatever they need. Mm -hmm. um, as well as, you know, sometimes there's an issue with um, deplaning. You know, mm -hmm. number one thing is uh, wheelchairs. Ah, yeah. Wheelchairs being late mm -hmm. um, or just nowhere to be found, and we need somebody that actually needs one. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes they don't show up, and so then I have to get up and go, go track one down, mm. like to see mm -hmm. if we who who can I get in contact with mm. to get a wheelchair down or get an extra one because mm. sometimes not enough show up. Mm. Or um, the other thing I've I've noticed will happen is someone who didn't order a wheelchair yes. takes a wheelchair, so yes. then the person who actually needed the wheelchair yes, that has is left without one. Yeah, so then we get that's sometimes like <laughs> sometimes maybe we only needed one, right? But like. A like you said, someone who didn't didn't get on board mm -hmm. or didn't board with one or didn't mm -hmm. request one takes it, and then the person that actually needed it <laughs> is like, "Oh, where?" It's like there was a wheelchair just here. Yeah, I don't know where he went. I guess somebody took it, so we have to call a second one. But the operations wasn't prepared, mm -hmm. so we have to call operations through the, through the radio or talk to the gate agents and have them radio operations and ask them to call for another one. Right. And that can be kind of stressful because you feel, I feel kind of bad for my passengers, you know, yeah. we're providing them a service, right? you know, and this is a, you know, shortcoming, a shortfall on our part, mm -hmm. you know, like we should have done better. We should have done better 
we ap- I apologize, you know, but I do my best to see how quickly we can get a right. get correct the issue. Right, absolutely. So in terms of being a captain, that, that's great to mm-hmm. kind of disclose like those are some of the things that are on your mind, even though mm-hmm. yeah, the, the running joke that the first officer is the one that always goes outside, which interestingly enough at JetBlue, we do it a little differently where we take turns. If you're pilot oh. flying, <laughs> you get to stay upstairs and you plug in the flight plan, all the information, and then the pilot monitoring for that leg does the walk around. And it's, it's different too, where, you know, at, at, at Republic, we would just first person to just plug everything in the box and into the flight management computer, you know, everything that you mm-hmm. plug in, just first person to do it, just do it right. Just yeah. get it done. Now it's at, at JetBlue, it's just only the pilot flying does it. So it's just kind of interesting to contrast. I don't know how many other companies do that, but right. it's just, it's kind of an interesting difference. But anyway, that, that was a side topic in terms of, of becoming a captain. Mm-hmm. Right. What is that process like? First of all, what, what are the requirements? And then what does that whole process look like uh, going from a first officer to a captain? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the requirements are you need 1,000 hours of 121 SIC time or 135 uh, PIC time okay, or a combination thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, once you have those qualifications, then you're legally able to. Um, and you have a unrestricted ATP. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're able to apply for you know, captain mm-hmm. at a, your appropriate airline. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I reached. I flew my butt off while I was at Republic. Um, <laughs> and um, eventually I had my bid in there, sitting in there for a while, just mm-hmm. because our system allowed us to just leave, mm-hmm. leave a bid in there. Mm-hmm. And just the system constantly tries to uh, get you a captain slot. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously it didn't award me anything because for a while, because I didn't have enough flight time, but eventually... I think it hit 850 hours and it mm-hmm. kind of interpolates and projects mm-hmm. your fly time mm-hmm. a couple of months out by the time you go to, go to class. And I mm-hmm. eventually hit the magic number. I think it was around 850, 900 hours. Mm-hmm. And then I got an email one day and said, hey, you're going to class. And I was like, <laughs> this is May. My class was May 31st, 2023. Okay. And I was like, oh, and I saw the email. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> wow. So that was already back in May that you, you started the class. Yeah. Wow. Funny, funny thing to contrast. I still haven't come close to the hours needed to upgrade. If I still was at Republic, <laughs> funny enough, it's just interesting to contrast that. You know, yeah. I was the lowest flying guy in our class for sure. Yeah, <laughs> Which, you know, some some pros and cons to that, I guess. Yeah. So you started that back in May, mm-hmm. and I know there's. I'm sure there's some information you can't disclose for sensitive security information reasons, but. What what was that like to, to go back to the schoolhouse? Because obviously it had been uh, over a year and a half or about a year and a half since since yeah. our initial training. And that's when we first started the airline. Now this is called upgrade training where you transition to captain. So what was that like going back to the schoolhouse mm-hmm. to, to kind of go through that uh, that process? It was kind of nostalgic, you know, going back to school. You mm-hmm. know, it's like I'm kind of going back to being a student, mm-hmm. although with a lot of ex- a lot more experience under my belt. Right. So I went in with a lot of confidence because mm-hmm. I know the operations, I know the airline, I've been studying, I've been pre- preparing, mm-hmm. um, and really focusing on, you know, the tasks set before me, which is upgrade training eventually, you know, passing everything and becoming captain. Mm-hmm. I was excited and I was a little nervous, but, you know, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. One of my mentors... Um, I texted her and she, she's, she's a captain at United and she, um, I texted her like, Hey, I got, I got a word captain. And she said, congratulations. You know, I'll be honest. I'm a little, I'm excited, but a little nervous. She's like, 
I wouldn't trust you if you weren't. And I'm like, <laughs> that is a great way to put that's, it. Because like you should be yeah. nervous going into this. My first time moving to the lefty because it is a huge responsibility. Mm. It's not just reading paperwork. It's not just flying the airplane. It, mm. In fact, at upgrading the cabin is less, even less about flying. Right. And even more about the people. Okay. And yeah. making sure everyone's taken care of. Everyone's right. doing what they should be doing. And also, when something goes wrong. You you're do? the right, guy right when everyone else is out of ideas mm-hmm. they look to you right what are you gonna do that's a lot of responsibility it's a lot of responsibility that's the weight on your shoulders there the whole it's the a weight lot of, the of weight you're like <laughs> i got 76 souls behind me yeah. well 76 passengers paying passengers and right. i got my first officer and my two flight attendants right they're all counting on me right you know we're counting on each other and we do help each other out mm-hmm. but at the end of the day the buck stops with me Right. Yeah. Um, And so going in, I'm like, I'm excited, but I'm nervous because I don't know exactly everything that I can expect, but I know it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I know it's a lot of work that's set before me, but I was like, let's do it. (laughs) So in terms of at the ground school, was there a lot of uh, classes on on leadership or or kind of diving more into the book? Because I know I've been told that, okay, in order to prepare for upgrade training you need to go into the books the, the flight operations manual right mm-hmm. which is a, the bible of the company so to speak for yeah. our operations on the line so that going into it what is it the the running thing is like you need to go through it three times right or something like <laughs> something that something like that yeah, yeah right? in order to feel prepared. um so the first five days is ground school mm-hmm. and that's where a senior training captain helps and leads your leads a class through different discussions mm-hmm. um a little bit of systems most of it's leadership okay you know, changing our mentality from a first officer mm-hmm. to a captain. Mm-hmm. We're going from someone who's there to help and assist and, you know, make sure everything goes to, goes smoothly, helping the captain achieve his goals and objectives mm-hmm. to now I'm the captain and I'm leading this ship. You know, right. I'm leading this team of people and leading my passengers to their destination. Right. And so you're things you need to think about change mm-hmm. things that are important to you change um, and you start thinking about a lot more stuff so the first five days of class was mainly focused around changing our mentality as well as reviewing diving more in depth into flight operations manual operation specifications standard operation standard operation operating procedures mm-hmm. um, getting more in depth and really thinking about like why does this say this like Mm. why do we do it this way Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to um non uh normal checklists right the qrh yeah we went through a couple qrh procedures and there was a guest cabin he came in and helped us go through um a couple different procedures like and help us think like why Mm. why would the engineers at Embraer write our qrh Mm. like this what are they trying to do and help us understand not only the qrh and why we do certain things but also why um how the airplane works Mm, yeah um and how how the function of certain systems affects what we do if it fails right you know just build a deeper um understanding of the Mm. aircraft that we're flying because we're the captain so we should have a deeper understanding of what the airplane is doing what happens when something fails what happens when we turn a switch turn something on turn something off turn it to auto, things like that. Right. Because at the end of the day, I mean, 
there's no situation where you're going to be ready to handle everything, right? And that goes for every facet of life, right? Mm-hmm. You just don't know what's coming at you yeah. tomorrow, the next day, the next yeah. minute, right? But at to essentially what it sounds like you're getting at is that you're getting to a level of proficiency in terms of the knowledge with the systems and, mm-hmm. and the, the cures, yes. the quick reference handbook where if you get that ding, right, the, mm-hmm. the ICAST message is coming at you, you're going to be able to kind of formulate yeah. your thoughts and figure out and, and have a, a plan of action right away, a plan exactly. A, a plan B, right? Okay. Yeah, building a mental model to help mm-hmm. us diagnose and handle any problem. Yeah. Because um, there's this is aviation. Anything can happen. Mm. And a lot of times, this happens all the time, like something happens mm-hmm. where no one's seen it before. Right. And so you have to use your own you know, mental model mm. to be able to determine, first evaluate the situation. Mm-hmm. What just happened? Mm. Okay, how does, how does this relate to something I've experienced in the past or my previous experience? Like, and how can I apply my skill, my knowledge, and my teammates, mm-hmm. my first officer and flight attendants, if how can I apply them and use them to help mm-hmm. solve this situation? Because mm-hmm. there's a million things that can go wrong. Um, and you cannot prepare for all of them, but right. you can prepare yourself with tools to help you solve any un- unseen problems coming, mm-hmm. coming forward. Absolutely. And in terms of climbing that ladder of knowledge and, and proficiency, I haven't upgraded. I plan on it someday. I'll, I'll definitely uh, hope to get into your shoes and, and be in that left seat. But the, only, the thing I can try and relate to, I guess, is the, the process of becoming a flight instructor. Because you and I share that, right? Where we still are. Did you keep your certificate current? I do. Okay, I did. good, good. As you should. Yes. Um, <laughs> good. So I remember the process. You know, you start out as a student pilot. Mm-hmm. You know absolutely nothing, right? You're learning how this airplane works, right? Yes. <laughs> you become a private pilot. You're like, yes, all right. Instrument pilot, right on. Commercial pilot, you're learning more and more. And then you, you, at that point, you've always been learning from an instructor, right? A mentor someone in a, a position of leadership and then you turn around and become a flight instructor and now you're yep. staring at the 16 17 18 year old kid yep. <laughs> who was you just a few years prior but yep. now you're in charge so is it kind of like that where you were you know going through the schoolhouse for the upgrade process you were you were learning about what it takes to become a captain and mm-hmm. all of a sudden now i'm assuming you've flown with a few first officers who yeah. have you know, I've only been here for a few months maybe, yeah. right? So is it kind of a similar situation where you all of a sudden, once you were completed with your initial operating experience as a captain, did you kind of hit that realization that, wow, I'm I'm the guy who who knows what's going on Yeah. in, in, in the grand picture? It's quite similar. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily the responsibility aspect of it. It's like mm-hmm. you are the last line of defense. Right. You know, Um it's a little different because you're hoping your FO is very confident and can help you out. Because there, I'll be honest, I don't know everything, and I've had FOs that, you know, they've had their own experience and they can help me out too. Right. You know, we're a team. We're not, you know, one isn't necessarily above the other. I've flown right. with first officers that are way senior to me. They've been right. flying. They've been at the company for ten plus years. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're still first officers, but they have a wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. too. Um, and they can be a really good resource mm-hmm. and tool if something goes wrong or, you know, just daily operations, you know, that when everything's going right, they can be a huge help as right. well. Um, so I'm not necessarily teaching. However, um, as a fly instructor, you're not just teaching, but you're mentoring right. your students. Right. As a captain, one of the my responsibilities is to mentor 
my first officer. Right. You know, because um, generally most of the first officers I fly with, they're junior to me. They don't have as much experience. Mm-hmm. So I do my best to be a good mentor, a good mm-hmm. resource of information, help them out wherever I can mm-hmm. or wherever they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think, where it's pretty similar between mm-hmm. being a captain and a flight instructor. And it's, it's interesting you bring that up, though, that you could have a first officer that's been there for 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. And which goes to show that you don't have to upgrade. You don't, no, you, you don't. certainly don't, you know, you can be gain that seniority in the right seat. Cause, mm-hmm. cause once you yeah. go to the left seat, you're in a different seniority list yes. kind of, so to speak. Right. So you're back to the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> right the totem usually, pole. Yeah, <laughs> usually. usually you go down back to the bottom <laughs> unless you just waited out right. so long in the right, in right. the right seat. And then I guess where I'm getting at is there's nothing wrong with staying in the right seat. You know, you can, mm-hmm. every pilot is going to be different and have a different outlook on their career. And, you don't have to upgrade, right? No, you don't. Absolutely not. Certain uh, regionals force <laughs> you to, though. That's my understanding. Yes. Uh, uh, and that's happened yes. to a couple people that I know. But outside of that, for the most part, it's it's a well-accepted thing that, you know, just because you're in the mm-hmm. right seat doesn't mean you're a lesser, lesser of a person, no, lesser of a pilot, not. right? You no. know, it's, you know, absolutely we're, not, we're both no. pilots up there in the front, right? Um, just for me, um, I am a little bit old-fashioned, so, like, I've always wanted to be ca- be a captain. Sure. That's like, I want to retire a captain, sure. you know, and spend as much time as in the left seat as possible. Um, so I think it's good for a pilot, an airline pilot, especially to look, to strive to be, be a captain one day. Sure. They don't have to do it at a thousand hours like I did, right. but one day when they're ready. Cause after my experience through training and my couple hundred hours that I spent in the left seat, it's not for the faint of heart, man. Mm. Mm-hmm. It really is not for the faint of heart. And I tell everyone that now. Mm. It's like, like, should you look forward to upgrading? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great experience. It's it's honestly an honor mm. to be a captain. Mm. I love it. It's a whole new aspect to the job. And Sounds pretty it's, humbling. It's, yes. Oh, my gosh. I've been humbled. I've been humbled, man. Oh, just, I haven't, I've only spent six months as a captain. Oh, man. It's... Yes, very, very humbling experience. Um, but I still think, you know, everyone should strive to, you know, at least be at that level. They don't have to upgrade, but like strive to always sharpen themselves, mm-hmm. always strive to be better. Mm-hmm. You know, you can always improve. You oh, know, yeah. one of my favorite phrases I learned, I heard from old YouTube channel, not old YouTube channel, he still run, makes videos. Um, your, his phrase was a good pilot's always learning. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and for me, the next step, big step for learning was, you know, upgrade to captain. Yeah. And it changes you as a person, Mm. you know, you mature a lot, you, what becomes important to you changes, Mm. but it's been a great experience. What, speaking of the experiences, what's been the most challenging part of the upgrading part when you were in the schoolhouse, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what was the hardest part of that? Say the hardest part, I was. It was the sim session right before our actual check ride, mm-hmm. because all the sim sessions prior to that were pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. I reviewed the syllabus for each lesson just to make sure I prepared and reviewed uh, my documents, and just kind of went with it, and everything went really smoothly. But the last one, I, to me, it was the most difficult because that was one where the instructor just threw stuff at you <laughs> like some pretty crazy uh, failures in the simulator. And mm-hmm. he just lets you run, lets you flounder about. 
I was like, all right, what's he going to do? Figure it out. Just figure it out. <laughs> and he'd go to my sim partner and was like, don't help him. Wow. Don't help him. Let him figure it out. So that, that all of a sudden went from what we generally work with, which is the crew resource management mm-hmm. environment, to all of a sudden it became single pilot. Yeah. Almost, yeah. Not completely. But it's like my my sim partner couldn't like give me an answer. Okay. I'm like, I, he could give me information. Like well, You could if, tell him what to do. Yeah, yeah I could okay. tell him what to do. Right. Um, and he could be a tool. He just can't be like, hey, you need to do this. Or, hey, <laughs> I see. I think you should do this. He can't, he can't do that. Wow. It's just If I ask him a question, he can answer it. Yeah. But if I ask him like, what do you think I should do? Oh. No. Yeah. Lip shut. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> wow. that, but that, I could just ask him like, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? He's like, mm. and just let you go. Yep. All right. What you going to do, Cal? <laughs> That's literally what it is. Like, yeah. What are you going to do? And it was, it was, that was like one of the first humbling experiences oh, like yeah. of my journey as a captain is mm-hmm. like, cause after that sim session, I felt beat up. I bet. And my, my check ride was the next day. My, my instructor, luckily, he, he thought we did great. Mm-hmm. You know, we debriefed what we did right, what we did mm-hmm. wrong. But I felt beat up. But you should be because it was a hard workout. You know, you need to be ready for your check ride the mm-hmm. next day. And then eventually you're going to be flying the airplane with actual people in the back. And generally that sim leading up to the check ride tends to be a little harder than the actual yeah. check ride, right? So yeah. At least it kind of over prepares you, so to speak. Right? Yes. And that's every syllabus of, because the advanced qualification program, the AQP, that, that training curriculum, they, yeah. they design it that way, right? They design so, it that way. It's they, it's trial by fire, you yeah, know? Yeah. Because if, if you got any weak spots, they're going to find it on that sim. And then right. if, if your weak spots are too big, mm-hmm. then they're going to add on another sim session to make sure that you're all ready to go. Luckily, we, me and my sim partner, we didn't need any extra ones, but we both went through it <laughs> yeah we both had we had to you know f- struggle mm-hmm. a little bit and um figure it out but it helps solidify you know not only our confidence um but you know our pr- our process as a captain mm. how we're gonna how we are gonna operate as captain because everyone's different right you know and you need to ve- develop your own method of captaining i mm. guess you could say mm. um so but yeah, it was a good experience. I had a, I had a really good time. Yeah. And in, in terms of, you know, cause when we started in initial training back in uh, the fall of 2021, mm. we kind of, we were a pretty tight knit group because we yeah. were all in it together at the beginning. Uh, kind of like we talked about earlier, we were getting our fresh start. We didn't know what was going on, but with upgrade, there were probably less people in your class or. Yeah. There was only in my class, there was five of us. Oh, okay so very not, small not a chance for as big of camaraderie that we had no when we started i mean okay. we did you know spend time together mm-hmm. studying yep. um things like that but it wasn't as close to tighten it of a group mm-hmm. i mean i had they were all solid great classmates mm-hmm. we'd have breakfast before class mm-hmm. things like that but after we all got paired with our sim partners mm-hmm. um uh we all kind of like split up i mean yeah. i'd see them in the training center every sure. now and then and we'd talk and We'd text each other, tell them like tips, tricks, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kind of just split split up as uh, we went into simulators. So, mm-hmm. nice. but it was still a good experience. I had a good sim partner. That's good. That yeah. always that always helps. I yeah. mean, we kind of try and have the mentality where we should be able to fly with anyone, right? Yeah. Where keep an open mind, but at the end of the day, if you got a, someone you're not working with well, mm-hmm. yeah. especially <laughs> in the training environment, that can challenge. Definitely absolutely. a challenge, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. There, plenty of my friends have explained, expressed stories where 
they they just didn't get along with their sim partner, mm-hmm. or just their sim partner wasn't keeping up, yep. you know, and it's kind of holding them back. You know, it, it's just how it goes in the <laughs> in the airline industry, yeah. you know. So, yeah. but you gotta you still have to be able to work with everyone. Yeah. You have to be able to find ways to, you know, achieve the obje- achieve the objective mm-hmm. at all times. So. Which is it's interesting because in terms of personality traits, we're all airline pilots, so you'd think that oh, we probably have similar mindsets, right? But the diversity within the airline pilot group is yeah. it's vast. You know, we have different backgrounds, different hobbies, different interests, mm-hmm. and it's pretty wild how different people can yes. be. And so it's mm-hmm. understandable that sometimes you, you don't work together as yeah. well as you'd like to, right? Yeah, but, absolutely. <laughs> but that that's really good that you had a good sim partner. <laughs> that, that helps a lot. In terms of now that you're flying the line, mm-hmm. finished up training, you got through the initial, uh, initial operating experience, what's been the most challenging part of flying the line now that you're out there? Honestly, it's when when the when your flight's delayed, mm-hmm. specifically when it comes to weather mm-hmm. or maintenance, um, and you have passengers on board, it's it's not fun because you're they're trying to get to their destination. Maybe they got a connection, mm-hmm. um, or sometimes it's a family and they got kids, and mm-hmm. the kids obviously they get r- rowdy after a certain amount of time, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it can be tough, mm-hmm. you know especially with regards to weather because um, the weather's unpredictable this mm. year, this past summer was ruthless mm. for not just me, but everyone, the whole industry across the East coast. Mm. Cause we have ATC short staffing shortages, mm-hmm. um, airline staff shortages, mm-hmm. um, all of it. And it combines with a really, really bad summer. The weather this summer, the thunderstorms were really bad. Rained every weekend. Yeah. It was one of the wettest summers. Yeah. I mean, there was a whole month where there was thunderstorms almost every night. Wow. Going through. And thunderstorms would stretch all up and down the East Coast. And when that happens, what? guess what happens? New York shuts down. DC shuts down. Boston shuts down. Right. And like they're they're showing airports are shut down for two, three hours at a time. And Mm -hmm. then they usually extend it throughout Mm. the day. Mm. And sometimes you get caught out from the gate Mm -hmm. trying to take off and the, and your destination shuts down. That's Mm. happened to me several times. Um, and you can wait it out Mm -hmm. because they say, Hey, we got an update time in about an hour. So, okay, we've only been off the gate for 15 minutes. Why don't we wait the hour Mm -hmm. and try and so that we're in position Mm -hmm. to take off as soon as the, as the airport opens back up. Mm-hmm. Now you're, you're gambling at this point because what if they just extended another hour? Right. But obviously the weather's changing. It's moving. Maybe right. it's moving further into the area, sometimes mm-hmm. moving out of the area. Mm-hmm. So you're gambling on the airport opening back up after, <laughs> yeah. after maybe another hour. Wow. And, Sometimes you win some, most of the time you do lose some, <laughs> unfortunately. Right. Um, and during my OE, I unfortunately like made some, you know, bad calls, mm-hmm. you know, it was honestly day one of OE. Wow. <laughs> day one of OE was probably my, one of my toughest days. Yep. Cause we load up, it was first flight DC to Boston. Oh. Um, should be a pretty easy fly. However, there is a line of storms that stretches from the Gulf states mm-hmm. all the way up to North upstate New York. Oh, wow. Things massive. Mm-hmm. It hasn't reached DC or New York yet, but it doesn't have to in order for it to cause problems. Right. <laughs> um, so I mean, my check airman, 
Uh, we introduce ourselves. We get things started, do a crew brief, get the airplane loaded up with passengers, push off the gate. As soon as the tug is disconnected, engine is started, we talk to ground. And, say, and they say, Brickyard, one, two, three, four. Uh, Boston just went into a ground stop, oh. update time an hour from now. We're like, are you kidding? <laughs> oh, no. oh, my gosh. So we just pushed off. So we're like, okay, let's go to the holding area. Mm. We wait. Wait about an hour and a half, mm. just monitoring the situation. Boston goes out of a ground stop. Mm-hmm. Luckily, at the up at the one hour mark, mm-hmm. but then they start issuing edicts, wheel wheels up times, mm-hmm. of three hours, like two three hours from that point. Oh, you can't. And I was do like, that. okay, we can't we can't yeah. stay out any farther. So let's go back to the gate. Yep. Open up the door. If anyone wants to get off, they can get off. You know, right. kind of reset the clock. Right. Um, pull up to the gate. My uh, check airman asked me like, hey, can you uh, call clearance see if there's still a edict time for us going to Boston? Mm-hmm. Sure. Called him, said, Clarence says, hey, uh, yeah, if you, yeah, we can send you right now if you can. And we're like, you've got to be kidding. Because that's just back and forth. That's just point. back and forth. Right. So we're like, okay, let's, let's board, get the door closed. Let's go again. So yep. we do that, push off. And mind you, the weather's still pushing. Yep. Unfortunately. And so we push off the gate. Then we hear over ground control frequency. Or it's like attention on aircraft, you know. Yeah, we're shutting down all departures. We're stopping all departures. We're like, what? Because the weather had moved in, okay. and now we're pinched between two cells. Mm-hmm. The main line and then a cell that blew up to the uh, east mm-hmm. east of the airport. So we're pinched. Mm-hmm. So they can't depart anyone. Mm-hmm. Except for, I think, one Southwest that was going to like Atlanta or something. He was going to be the pathfinder. <laughs> so we're like, okay, we're going back through this all over again. So we go back to the holding area because I'm thinking, like, okay, let's try and wait it out. Mm-hmm. We're out there. The weather starts moving through, mm-hmm. and then they start opening thing, opening up departures again. Like, mm-hmm. okay, let's see if we can get going. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, our original route was closed. They wouldn't let us go on our original route, so they said, "Hey, do you have this route?" And we're like, "Yeah, we can punch that in." Mm-hmm. So punch it in, and <clears throat> unfortunately, the new route was longer, and we just didn't have the gas for oh. it. So we had to go back to the gate, oh, get more fuel, <laughs> and just wait around yep. a little bit. And I was like, let's just get everyone off off mm-hmm. the airplane. Mm-hmm. Boston wasn't going to be shutting down um, for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Get some gas, recuperate, mm-hmm. and then call everyone back and board them back up. So we did that. And boarded up and talked to reassure with ground, like, you're going to let us go? And they said, yeah, if you can get out of here, we'll let you go. Well, um, we board up, close the door, and... There's no ground crew. Because it's chaos in D.C., so ground crew, they have other planes, and we've been going at this for four or five hours at this point. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. it's And they were busy doing something else, and we're like, we're calling for the ground crew, Mm -hmm. and my cat, my Czech airman, he started at a different time during that day. Mm. So he's on a different duty time. Oh, okay. So he's pushing. He times out a lot sooner than me. Oh, wow. And then we're looking. We had the time. We knew what time that would be and we're like oh, uh, if we don't get in the air by this time we're coming up oh, gosh. and we're watching the minutes tick by we're calling for ground crew to push us back and eventually we're, it reaches a point where we're like oh. clock ticks over and we're past that time time expires and oh man he so, timed out so what was that the third or fourth time going that back to the gate that was technically the that was our third attempt 
and we we were <laughs> and we still talk um, I actually flew with him uh, last week oh, cool. and we were just reminiscing about that day <laughs> and we and the best way he described it is we made like every decision we made based on the information we were given mm-hmm. was the wrong decision but like it was the wrong right decision right it was the wrong decision because obviously it didn't work right but the right decision because like, try. let's try right, right let's try you know right. we made an attempt we made an effort right. to try and get to boston because right. the weather was clearing up the routes were opening up so right. let's keep trying we got the fuel so we can try again on the new longer routes let's right see. but it was always the wrong decision because it just just didn't work out so that kind of story shows how everything can go wrong. Yeah. You know, and you have the pressure of your passengers. Right. They're counting on you to get the, get them to their destination. Right. You know, and, you know, that situation is probably what make like, the hardest part yeah. about being the captain yeah. is making the tough calls, you know, yeah. and sometimes you're going to make the wrong call, which, unfortunately, on my day, first day, I made the wrong calls. But I mean, if you think about it in terms, of, if you had foresight, I guess you would yes. just cancel that Hindsight, flight, right? Yes, exactly. Hindsight <laughs> is twenty twenty, and we were saying, why don't they just cancel the flight? Right. Because right. at that point, like, we were the only ones going to Boston. We were the only flight wow. that was attempting to go to Boston. Wow. All the other flights on JetBlue, Delta, American had canceled except mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I can't cancel a flight. Right. Like, yes, I am the captain. I have final authority. I can't cancel a right. flight. Operations has to. Right. I can refuse a flight. Right. I can refuse an airplane, more right. specifically. But right. I can't say, we're canceling the flight. Right. But I can tell dispatch, like, I'm not going. Right. Of course, that usually right. means a, probably a phone call from the chief pilot. Is sure. Like, why? <laughs> and then I have to explain, right. like, this is why. But in this situation, it was it was pretty much out of your control because you guys were ready yeah. to roll. Yes. But all these different things came at you in terms mm-hmm. of the ground stops, and ground by stop. the time it was quote unquote open back up, yeah. then it closed again, and then the other time you're missing the ground crew. I mean, all mm-hmm. the ducks lined up in a perfect terrible yeah. row. Yeah. Where you just couldn't get out. Yeah. So I've never heard ATC change their minds on things. <laughs> more times in a span of time in my life it yeah. seems like every five minutes oh yeah you can go oh wait no you can't go oh. yeah you can go no you can't go <laughs> we could not keep track and that was another factor into what made that day so difficult and hard to make a decision mm. because i'm trying to gather information from so many different aspects mm. um so many different points mm-hmm. atc looking at my re- weather radar talking mm-hmm. to company seeing mm-hmm. what the faa says mm-hmm. um and you know, when one of them's changing every five minutes, right. it's hard to keep up, hard to right. keep track. And, you know, ultimately, sometimes you can make make the wrong decision. Unfortunately, I made the wrong decisions that day. But huge learning experience. And that was the first day I was severely humbled. Yeah, <laughs> Trial by fire. And it was day one of uh, Captain OE. Too. Right, because that was the first time going from the simulated environment in the schoolhouse mm-hmm. to flying the line. Yes, Yes, and just getting was. thrown into it and getting just the beef of it all. Yes. Because some other guys in our class had a much easier first week of yeah. initial operating experience. A little right? less Where eventful. Blue skies, you know, yeah. not a cloud over New York City, right? Which yeah. 
<laughs> Although they, they were lucky because they did it in like late summer, early fall. Okay, so <laughs> peak thunderstorm season a little over. Yeah, right? okay. thunderstorm yep. season's over. Yep. I mean, I don't, like the weather has been great the last couple months. That's been really nice. So yeah. hardly any weather delays and right. it's been really, really nice. Right. And I'm just waiting for winter weather to get started back up. But <laughs> I'd rather have winter weather than thunderstorms, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Much prefer that. And in, and in case it's not obvious to the listeners, thunderstorms, why are they bad for us in aviation? Because uh, you don't want to fly through them. And why not? Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a rough ride. Indeed. <laughs> it could be a rough ride. You can, the um, turbulence in a thunderstorm, they are so powerful mm. that they can damage the airplane. And mm. in worst cases, they can tear the airplane apart. Mm. And obviously, we avoid thunderstorms right. for safety. Right. You know, it's, I don't want to fly through them. I know they don't want to, right. my passengers don't want to fly through them. Right. And it's just, it's extremely unsafe. It's not just the turbulence too. It's, uh, it's, you know, there can be hail right. in a thunderstorm. There right. can be, there's obviously lightning mm-hmm. in a thunderstorm, which mm-hmm. can damage the airplane. Hail, mm-hmm. a couple of airplanes this summer have um, mm-hmm. been damaged by hail mm-hmm. in the industry, I think. Mm-hmm. At a couple airlines, you could see the windscreen just completely opaque because it's been wow. golf ball size, softball size hail just destroying wow. the glass, wow. um, destroying the nose of the airplane. And right. we try, we try everything we can right. to avoid situate finding right. ourselves in situations like that. And in terms um, of the nose of the airplane, if the hail hits that, the radome, yes, that's the where our radar is. Dis- radar is destroy radar. Now you can't see you any can't more weather. See, yes. Right. All right. So that's and we're required. Like if there's thunderstorms along our route, we're required to have weather radar on board. Right. And well. If it gets knocked out, then right. hmm, probably shouldn't be. Right. But of course, you're already in it. So, right. um, so yeah. I, I can see as a passenger how it can get really frustrating where you might look at your AccuWeather or your WeatherChannel.com app on your phone mm-hmm. and you might say, wait, the storms aren't even there yet. Like, what's going on? But in terms of the big picture of the mm-hmm. entire national airspace system, right, all the thousands and thousands of flights that we operate every day in this country and across the globe for that matter. Yeah. It just goes to show how, you know, the, the little glimpse of what you've shown us in mm-hmm. that little story that it's yeah. so vast. Exactly. That one little thing or large line of thunderstorms <laughs> in this case. I don't know. Have you been to Newark? <laughs> <laughs> it, can, it can really disrupt everything. Right? And it, even if exactly. it's not directly impacting where you are at that moment, that yeah. it just has huge consequences down the line. Yeah. So think of it this way. If a thunderstorm pops up over, you know, between, like, a thunderstorm cell pops up between DC and New York mm-hmm. and flight. There's constantly flights flying through that region of the country. Mm-hmm. Think of it as a roadblock, like a landslide blocks a highway. Yeah. Think of it that way. That's a good analogy. You're driving down the highway and then a landslide comes. You can't go over or through right. the landslide. The road's now blocked. So you need to find a detour. Well, airplanes do the same thing. Mm. We're on these highways in the sky mm-hmm. and a Thunderstorms in the way, we don't want to fly through it, so let's find a way around it. Well, air traffic control can only accommodate so many deviations because highways are there for a reason. It helps keep all these airplanes in a nice, organized line. Mm. And air traffic control can manage that a lot better. They can Mm. manage their speed and altitude and direction a lot better Mm -hmm. when they stay on these highways. Mm. Well, when planes start, like, hey, I want to go left. (laughs) Oh, I want to go right. Yeah, Yeah, I want to go left and right. It's like... They start eating up more airspace, right. start bleeding into more and more airspace, and then they can no longer manage the same number of airplanes at, this, at a certain time. Right. So then they start, that's when they start issuing edicts, and then eventually ground stops happen because 
air traffic control gets overloaded. They right. can't accommodate all the deviations right. for everyone. And so right. they just shut the airport down so that the controllers can get everything under control. Right. And and sometimes there's just a thunderstorm on top of the airport. Mm. So another reason why they shut it down. But It's kind of like, here's, here's an analogy idea. Uh, uh, an internet server that's used to having 100 mm-hmm. personal computers connected to it, right? Yeah. And that multiplies by 10. And all of a sudden, the network can't handle it, right? Yeah. And it just shuts, and it shuts down. down. It's yes. the same idea, right? It's like basically it's, it's, that is especially this summer. <laughs> that is exactly what happens. Yeah. As soon as air traffic control gets overloaded, mm-hmm. they shut it down. Right. They just stop. Yep. It's like airplanes that are in the air, you're going to divert or you're going to hold until right. we can get everything organized, until we can, um, you know, actually accommodate you. Mm. Or if you're on the ground, sorry, you're going to be sitting there for a while. <laughs> um, and part part of it is due to staffing shortages. Sure. Um, which hopefully soon it can be solved. We get more people becoming uh, air traffic controllers, but mm-hmm. you know this is a situation that we're in. Right. You know, and I don't want my air traffic controllers being overtaxed, handling too many airplanes, because then that's unsafe. Right. That's right. even that can be even more unsafe than you know yeah. thunderstorm dealing with thunderstorms. Yeah. You know we need to keep airplanes separated. Mm-hmm. You know they do a very very good job at it. Yeah. An amazing job at it. Yeah. They do. Um, their job. Is honestly more difficult than our jobs as pilots way more difficult yeah. it's very different we did we're all dealing with a lot of stuff but they are managing so many so many things <laughs> they're managing so many planes yep. talking to other air traffic controllers and other mm-hmm. airspaces um their job is extraordinarily complex and they can get overloaded very very quickly very yeah. easily yeah no kidding there's a buddy of mine who's uh he's a controller and his parents were controllers as well so it kind of runs in the family mm-hmm. And he was telling me how just the difference between when his parents started out, like the number of aircraft they would have on their radar scope compared to what the typical controller would have these days. I mean, the, the workload that these controllers have is mm-hmm. just, it's insane. Yeah. And, and my friend, he works at a, uh, in, in Madison, Wisconsin. I don't know if you ever flew out of there out of Chicago. I think I did it once. I think I went once. up there at least once. Yeah. Uh, it's not a massive airport, but it's... It's got general aviation, it's got the air carriers, and then it's also got, uh, I think it's an F-16 fire squadron. So mm-hmm. you got aircraft doing three different speeds coming in there with yes. three different runways. It's, <laughs> it's a zoo. It's no it's no New York. It's, it's no DC. Yeah. It's no Boston. But it's still a very complex airport. Yeah. And he said, I mean, he gets worked like crazy. He, he has opportunities to make a lot of extra money for these double-time shifts. Mm-hmm. The guy works six days a week. Yeah. It's crazy, you know. It it's, it's it's nuts. crazy. How, yeah, I don't know how he's able to manage uh, all of his time outside of work. So I definitely <laughs> want to get him on the show at some point yeah. uh, because that'll be really fun to discuss. Yeah, but would, yeah, you raise a really awesome. good point that it, those guys are just overloaded. They're overloaded, and and the the academy is doing the best they can mm-hmm. to to push out uh, new controllers. But I think on one of the articles I was reading recently, they're like two years worth mm-hmm. of controllers behind or something, yeah, something like that like in terms that. of their Several staffing. Years, yeah. That's wild. It's wild, and uh, it's and even once a air traffic controller goes through the schoolhouse for the mm-hmm. FAA, they still go to their facility, mm-hmm. but they're not set off. They're not set free mm. to control aircraft. Mm-hmm. They they then have to get certified for that facility, mm-hmm. and that can take one to two years. Yeah, and so they're with a training controller, yep. an instructor controller, you know, watching over their shoulder, working with them, and helping them learn and guide them through. Right. Controlling aircraft through that facility's airspace, and it can take one, two years. Yeah, and so that's what you know why they're like two plus years behind. They said 
you know, their ATC is going to be short staff probably the next five, seven years from what I've heard. Wow. You know, so, but we got to, we're sticking with it. You know, mm-hmm. we're hoping for them. We're trying to do our best, you know, to yeah. help out our controllers. Well, I guess I know in terms of like uh, on the corporate side of things, companies have limited, they've, they've actually uh, reduced the number of scheduled flights in the Northeast to yes. help accommodate that, yeah. right? Which is wild because the traveling public wants to go places. Yeah. But nowadays, we have to limit the number of flights, which means all the flights are usually full. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, for us being in the industry, if we want to non-rev as yeah, we call we it, travel. we travel for free, you know, it's a little harder to do because there's yeah. not as many seats up there. But A little harder to do. Um, <laughs> airlines are, they want to get their, pa- they want to serve their passengers, sure. get them to their destinations, offer them more destinations, which right. is what we all want because right. that's growth. It's great for the industry, great for us employees. It's great for the passengers. Mm-hmm. Um but of course, there's certain infrastructure, certain infrastructure that is behind air yeah. traffic control infrastructures cannot uh, meet the demand at the moment. Right. Um, but we're, you know, we're working together. We're working, doing our best yep. to figure it out. So it'll take some time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get there, right? Eventually. Yeah, one day. Future aspirations, Trevor. Where where do you see yourself? Uh, you know, as much you want to disclose mm. with uh, your your yeah. future employer coming up, which future is very employer. exciting. Yes. Um, but you're obviously not sticking around at Republic for forever. No, I'm not. Um, I'm which in, is which is great. Yes, I'm in the last couple last couple weeks with okay. Republic, which is bittersweet. Yeah. Um, moving on to a major U.S. carrier. Awesome. Um, man. All I, the only hint I'm going to give. <laughs> the important people that know know who it is, but I will say I'm going off to unite the world. Let's hey, just say. all right. I going like off it. to unite the world. Um, right. But yeah, uh, going to a major airline. Cause mm-hmm. it, I've always wanted to go to a major airline. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but my uncle, he's a captain at a major U.S. airline. I'm actually going to the same airline as him to oh, join him, keep it oh, in the wow. family. Wow. You know, so it'll be almost, I did the math, almost 80 years of my family at wow. this. Wow at this uh, airline when and eventually I retire almost okay. 80 years of of, of neighbors that's <laughs> so great wow. so wow. that's what I'm really really excited about um, oh, that's great. but obviously going to a major because a number of reasons mm-hmm. um, pays better sure. benefits quality of life mm-hmm. schedule flexibility but also the opportunity to do all sorts of flying mm-hmm. um, a lot yeah, of new destinations new yeah. destinations yeah. Um, a lot of international flying, mm-hmm. um, which kind of one of my goals mm-hmm. uh, is to eventually get to like uh, get to a wide body, okay, and fly yeah. international, go wow. to Europe, you know, Africa, South America. So Asia. those are some of those long haul, you know, like yeah. ten hour plus flights, right? Yeah, uh, it's always been a dream of mine to yeah. do something like that. Wow. Who knows? I might not like the long haul flying, but I do want to try it sure. and just you know say like, hey, I did it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I kind of want to try everything because. Um, this uh, the airline the majors they go all over the place. Oh, There's yeah. such a wide variety. Yeah, so much stuff to do, and you can and, change it too. You yeah, know, if if you don't like the wide body lifestyle, yeah. you can go back to the narrow body. Yes, right? you go know, back to is, narrow body flying yeah. domestic or I guess short haul international. Sure, you know, Central yep. South America, Caribbean. Okay. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so There's so much stuff to do. I got forty years. Yeah, left. I mean, at the moment, forty years. Who knows yeah. what. Uh, they'll do with yeah. they extend it to age 67 <laughs> which we'll have to wait and see what happens but yep. for now i'm just going off 65 there you go yep. um but yeah 40 years i'm like i can't even fathom that i'm yeah i i remember i never thought like after two years at a regional one that i would have upgraded within that time span but two going on to my dream airline 
That's awesome. I never would have thought that when I got, when I started, I thought "Eh, five, six, seven years. And, Mm -hmm. and in that time, maybe upgrade after two, three years. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. But the industry changed so much and everything moves so much faster. And I'm just grateful to be in the right place at the Mm -hmm. right time. And, Looking forward to the future. Well, that's a, that's honestly. a perfect segue into my next question, uh, my last question actually, which is, in in terms of you know, you were just mentioning that you never thought you'd be where you are right now. So, mm-hmm. what could you say to either your younger self or maybe to the future aviator? I don't know if they're listening to this show mm-hmm. or you know yeah. whoever it might be who's who's thinking about a career in aviation. That ten year old version of yourself, right? Yeah. What do you say to them about a career in aviation to to help inspire them, get them in the right direction? It is the craziest job. It's the craziest industry in the world, in my opinion. It is so much fun. It is a huge industry. It's a small industry because, I mean, it's such a small community. Great friends, great people, but it's so much fun and there's nothing Mm. like it. And it's a lot of work Mm. to get into it. Mm -hmm. A lot of work, a lot of money. It's not cheap. (laughs) It's not cheap at all. But it is worth it every single penny Mm. and if i could if i had to start all over again Mm -hmm. i'd do it all over again that's awesome i'd do it again like without a doubt i don't regret anything and you're gonna have a lot of ups you're gonna have a lot of downs sure um but you gotta roll with them gotta Mm -hmm. roll with the punches Mm -hmm. and you just have to enjoy the process Mm. that's one of the things that you know I tell a lot of prospective pilots, pilots that are coming up, mm-hmm. is make sure you enjoy it. Mm. I wish I enjoyed my training a little bit more, you mm-hmm. know, did a little bit more exploring with my flying, mm-hmm. um, went, was a little bit more adventurous, mm-hmm. but I don't regret anything, mm-hmm. but I always tell people, enjoy the process. Mm. Mm-hmm. Take your time, make sure you learn as much as you can, just enjoy the ride. Because before you know it, you'll be where we're at, right? Which yeah. is wild. We're flying jets. Absolutely wild. Even though it's mostly in the Northeast right now. Yes, mostly in the Northeast. <laughs> it's but... still flying a jet. I mean, yes, that is cool. Absolutely. You, you go from flying something that's, you know, what was the Baron? 4,000 pounds, right? Yeah, about, something like, yeah, about 4,000 pounds. Now, now an 80,000 pound jet, you know? That's, yep. that's just, that's wild. Yeah. That's wild. Huge responsibility and it's, it's beautiful. I, I love what you said there. That's great. Yeah. Perfect. Appreciate it. Trevor. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Absolutely. And you, you, you took your time off. You, you were just at a wedding yesterday, right? Yeah. <laughs> you come another day off. You grab a last seat on a flight up from Raleigh. Yeah. You're here for the night. I'll cook us a dinner. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll chill. We'll talk some more. Chill, share some more stories. And, oh, yeah. But thank you so much for coming Absolutely up. Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime, man. Well, that wraps. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much, Trevor. (laughs) That wraps things up, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Clear for Takeoff. I'll be back next time, and until then, as always, fly safe. 